Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. We have a terrific topic today about making the transition from a large lender to a smaller lender. And I am thrilled to have our expert, Kevin Crichton, who is president and COO of EMM Loans. Kevin was previously with Bank America and Countrywide, two of the largest lenders that we have in mortgage banking in its day. So, Kevin, I have to ask the big question, how did you get in to mortgage banking and how did you get into managing? So good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, I I think like many of us kind of fell into the business. I think, you know, many, many years ago, I don't think many of us understood even what mortgages were. I mean, certainly I didn't have one when I got out of school. I was an accounting finance guy coming out of college. I answered an ad for a traveler's mortgage at the time in 1986 for a senior accountant to run their accounting department. Got the job out of a couple hundred candidates, happened to know some people there as well. And, you know, my career started as a lonely accountant. And uh, eventually, you know, after raising my hand to volunteer for many aspects of mortgage banking, you know, from audits to servicing to secondary marketing to operations, I I wanted quickly out of accounting at some point. And uh, I progressed through my career from travelers back in the 80s, 90s, got bought by none other than GE Capital, um, which I worked for GE Capital for a time period. And then from there, kind of moved on with my career through capital markets, uh, CFO roles, COO roles, CEO roles. I owned a couple companies. So, you know, it's it's about a 30, 35 year history. So I won't bore you with all the details, but that's how I got into the business. <laughs> wow. What a terrific background. And I, I'm curious about the managing side. So did you, when you moved from accounting, how did you get into managing? Well, I always had a, a always took a leadership role growing up, uh, mostly in sports, um, mm-hmm. in some clubs and associations I was involved with. I always had a job, so I knew the responsibilities of working with people. I always felt that I wanted to take care. I'm, I'm a I'm a kind of guy like if you ever saw the uh, movie Blindside, you know, the, sure. uh, you, know you take that that person was a, a high degree of always taking care of people. So I always I grew up to be able to take care of people, my family. My sister, my dad died when I was young. I was 17. So I was kind of the guy I always felt I had to take care of everyone else. And uh, managing was another way to do that. And I, I basically volunteered to take on projects and showed leadership skills. And I got promoted and moved along. And I was fortunate to work. I think I mentioned a little bit a couple minutes ago. I worked for GE Capital. And when I was at Travelers, I got the opportunity to work with GE when I was at Travelers through the mortgage insurance side. And I got to train in Grotenville, which was the old GE Capital, sure. um, the the way they train their senior managers and executives under Jack Welsh. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually met Jack and some of his teachers. And so I, I, I got a lot of a lot of training. You can talk about the black belts and green belts and everything sure. else we go through. But, but I got a lot of basic managerial training. And then on and on from there to different companies, including, you know, the likes of like uh, B of A and Countrywide, you know, not that many years ago, um, just, just a heck of a few companies that knew how to train their managers and teach people how to be good leaders. Oh, what a great background. And I can relate to it because I was also a GE Capital person and also had gone to Crotonsville. What a small world for sure. So what was the yeah. best advice that you got about managing? Listen, it's hard to listen because your brain and what you want to do is going, you know, 10,000 miles a minute and to have the patience to sit back and listen to people is critical Listen, but then make your decisions based on the facts you take in. And, and admittedly, there's times when 
know, I could do a better job of listening. I hear everybody hearing and listening are two different things, right? So sure. I can hear you, but am I listening to you? And that's something that I strive every day to get better at. But I think to be a good manager, you have to have, you have, to have compassion. You have to have uh, feelings yourself. You got to balance them out. I just think, you know, again, as a young man, I was thrown into taking care of my family, got married at early age, had children at early age. I think when you go through that and you learn how to manage through life's challenges, I think you have, uh, you know, a better chance of being a good manager in the business aspects. And I, and I firmly believe when I meet people, I want to know about their, their personal life. I mean, as much as they want to share with me, sure. you know, I can tell right away whether someone's got an ability to manage or ability to persevere through challenges based on their personal life and some challenges or things they've been through. So it's important to me, myself specifically, and my, my staff, that I understand that they're, you know, happy life, happy employees. So if they're happy at home, they're happy at work. If they're happy at work, they're happy at home. And that I think that balance makes for uh -huh. better leaders. For their book that you uh, would recommend for our listeners today that were important to you or gave you some type of direction about managing? I consider myself probably a better leader than a better manager. So mm -hmm. I read a lot of things about, you know, leadership roles, um, a lot of sports figures. You know, I was mm -hmm. a big Big, big fan growing up of Vince Lombardi and you know, Jack Welsh, obviously, as I got sure. older and then got to you know, listen and admire him. Just a lot of reading and listening. You know, any particular book? No. I mean, you know, there's some books right now that I recommend and I push people to read as it, as it relates to the business and how you take care of your, your business and your customers. But on leadership and managerial roles, there's so many of them. Sure. I would advise strongly anybody who wants to be a better manager to raise their hand, as I did, Ask their employer to send them to uh, further training and education. You can never get enough training and education, no matter what age you are. I mean, even 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 at my age, you know, it's it's important to, you know, have an aspiration to go to work every day and learn something every day. And I think raising your hand, because in many instances, you know, your superiors and the people next to you may not recognize you that you want to do anything until you raise your hand and volunteer and make it clear that you want to learn more. And I think that's how I. You know, became a better manager. I still have a lot to learn. But honestly, it's just a matter of, you know, putting your foot forward and putting your hand up to raise your hand and make sure you're you're seen and, you're, you know, people want to recognize you as a potential leader and a good manager. But you have to volunteer to, to want to do these things. You can't just wait for somebody to reach out and go, tag, you're it. You have to do yeah. it yourself. Right. So if you look back, especially over 35 years, what do you consider your greatest career accomplishment? And on the other hand, what was something that, that you learned over all those years? So I've had a, an array of different positions and opportunities, both as an employee and as an owner. The company I'm in today, the EMM Loans today, I came here almost 10 years ago, coming out of B, B of A. I went to Countrywide and in uh, 2007, after owning a company before that and, and having a bit of a fallout with a partner and decided to move on from a company I owned. Going to Countrywide, as much as everyone thought, you know, big old, big old Countrywide and they're the best in the land, they had a lot of issues. They, had, they were one of the best marketing companies that ever, you know, was on this, uh, this earth for mortgage banking. I mean, they did it right for a long period of time. Learned a lot there. I was a partner there for many years as a seller. Uh, and then B of A, as much as B of A, you know, got a lot of negative press around their their acquisition of Countrywide and the mortgages. They were a phenomenal company as it relates to how they manage their people and the training and education on becoming a good leader, human resource issues. I learned a lot there. A lot. I, I went there purposely 
actually not necessarily wanted to be part of a bigger company, but wanted to learn something that perhaps I hadn't had the privilege of learning before that. So I took a piece from that five year stint there. The last 10 years at the company I'm at, you know, I came to this company. Um, I'm not an owner. I chose to be the kind of operating manager, if you will. So I get, I get compensated like an owner, but I'm not legally an owner. Um, we took a company at the time 10 years ago. You know, a lot of family and friends were working here. Literally, family and friends were working here when I came here. We were about a you know $400 million a year origination company. Today, we're about a $3 billion company. You know, we had a net worth of about a million or two. Today, we're north of 50 million, not to give specifics. You know, we had 100 people then. We have 350 people today. So absolutely, this position for the last 10 years has taught me a lot and been uh, both pleasurable and, and challenging at the same time. Well, that leads to our topic today, because certainly you've been at very large companies. And when you move to a smaller company, what are the, the things that really strike you that um, are really important that you would want to share with our listeners? Culture, you know, in big companies, specifically, you know, some of the larger companies I was at, including B of A and Countrywide, not to degrade anything, but, you know, there's a culture of somewhat conservative type approach every day, somewhat laid back in a larger company. I feel personally, a lot of people in, a, in, in some of those organizations, they're smart, they're accomplished, they're good people, but they're not necessarily risk takers. So there's, there's, a, there's a limitation as to, you know, where they can go and what they can do within, the, within those organizations. I'm not trying to paint everyone that way, but when you get to a smaller company like ours, you have a lot more risk takers, a lot more people that are a little more I guess to describe it, shoot from the hip, right? So, and you have to somehow, my goal when I came here, for instance, you know, going from a very large company in Bank of America Mortgage at the time, which was really countrywide with a different name on it at the time, which was the largest originating company in, in the country, you know, Wells Fargo, they, and, you know, the, the Quickens and the others have come up through the ranks in the last 10 years. Um, those were all our clients at the time. So those are the people that were below the, the aggregators, which is countrywide slash B of A. But to, to come from a very structured company with a lot of regulation and a lot of oversight and come to a company that other than the third party regulation of states and some other things they had to deal with internally had, uh, you know, lack of, of, of balance and, and, and safeguards. And it wasn't a it wasn't a poorly run company. It just wasn't anywhere near the larger ones. It's It's very challenging to get people who are working that environment to understand the nature or the importance of having balance, right? Bring in some structure, keep that entrepreneurial spirit, because that's kind of it's kind of how the countrywide's world run. They're very entrepreneurial, but very you know had, they had structure. You know what what happened in you know the years later was probably mis misleading. But countrywide, like I said, was probably one of the better companies ever that was ever on this face of the earth from a mortgage standpoint during its heyday. But yet, you know, the markets created problems for them. But to come to this company here, a company like this, this size, very small company, you know, hands-on ownership at the time, and try and bring in that culture of structure, but maintain the balance of entrepreneurship is very challenging, right? So literally, I will tell you, we had probably more like 150 people at the time. I would tell you, we over the next few years after that, it wasn't by it wasn't by design, but just by the nature of some people not wanting to be more structured, we turned over the uh, the employees, you know, maybe 50% was turned over and we brought in more people, you know, I hired some people to help me bring in more structure and more uh, capabilities. So, and, and you're trying to run a business and pay the bills at the same time while you're trying to change a little culture so you can get to the next piece of your, of your, your conquest where you want to go later. So it, it was just challenging 
culturally wise to, to bring in both cultures together. You know, I had all those cultures from my background. This company only had an entrepreneurial culture and it was just very challenging to get everyone to understand why you have to have balance. So Kevin, if in my experience, and I'm curious in what you think about this, that typically what I see is that with mortgage lenders, you can get to about a billion in volume under the right circumstances and really still be almost really just a small broker. But then if you want to move to a billion to five billion, you have to have this structure issue. And a lot of times companies and leaders don't really recognize that structure is good. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, if, if if the ownership and the leadership doesn't understand it, I assure you that the investors and bankers that are helping you get there will remind you of that. You don't want to be reminded in a negative way. You want to show the and, and the critical path to growth is having your partners. You know, everything from your your warehouse banks to your investors of record, you know, whether it be conduits, whether it be agencies, some of the other vendors relative to the MI companies, uh, you know, software companies. If you show a, a good foot forward, look, they all want to make money. We, we're all here to make money, but they want, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to find out that they step into a, a, a partnership with it and you don't have that balance and something blows up and there's egg on the face of the people who recommended you. So you have to, you have to make them feel that you're worthy of taking a chance. And when they don't feel that way, I can assure you, especially after the, the meltdown of you know 2008 to 2011, the, the current uh, partners that are critical to a mortgage banking path, they'll step up a little bit, but they'll never really step into your um, partnership the way you, sh- you need them to, to be successful and get to that you know, next level of growth. You're right. You know, 80 million plus a month is a good size company. You know, I'm, I've never, I've never been one to, you know, work towards volume. You know, I look at the bottom line. I look at return on equity. I, I have a basic model every day. I think, you know, do, do, do more with less, right? So more meaning, I want better returns, better return on equity, um, and, and somehow to do that with less loans because doing more loans is more risk, right? You have all kinds of potential risk associated with loans. Now that that that's a conflict when it comes to your origination staff because they just want to do more loans, right? They get paid commission based on more loans. Yet the ownership and senior managers like myself get paid on the bottom line. So there's a bit of an inherent conflict. So that's the challenge too that you have to, you know, blend the organization and the culture. But absolutely, one of the things I've done since I got in this business was to build very formidable and lifelong relationships with what I believe to be the partners I need to be successful. And I think you you know me a while. You know how I am with relationships. I think sure. it's critical to any, any good company or any company who wants to get anything. I, I like the ability to pick up a phone and call the senior leadership at another, you know, at a bank or an investor where I'm going to get attention. I don't like to spread my business out amongst 20 or 30 investors. I get, I get, no, I get no credit for that. I get no leverage from that. Sure. So I, so I, so I, maybe I leave a few bucks on the table by not always hitting the best bid, you know, for selling loans and stuff like that. But I get a lot more uh, belief and comfort and partnership type environments when I, when I play it that way. And it's, it's, it's sincere. So, uh, you know, partnerships are important in this business. There's, There's no one out there can really go at it by themselves. You need strong partners and you have to show, you know, to go back to my original statement, you have to put your best foot forward. You have to really show that you're willing. You have to be ahead of the curve. You can't be reactive. You have to be active. 
So. so you talked about when you first got to your current lender is that you had to turn over half the people. What was happening with all of that? They, they didn't see the vision or what, what, was, what was going on? And, and how did you, in other words, how did that set with the other remaining people that stayed at the company? Well, again, I, I'll correct by what I said maybe earlier. We didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Turn over fifty percent. It just turned out that way. Sure. Um, you know, many people felt. You know, look, there's, there's. Look, I have a lot of respect for most every human being. I mean, everyone has a preference of how they want to work. They want to come to work every day and work right. for a small company. That's their prerogative. I don't. That's fine. I've I've done both. Right. So it just was apparent that as we were going to bring more structure in, the way we would, you know, originate our loans, the way we'd underwrite our loans, the way we'd price our loans, the way we would have corporate structure. Some people simply didn't want to be in that in, in that environment because it made it's their prerogative you know and, and over time and then some of the people that remain a lot of people remain remember to say philadelphia-based company i started my career in that same market literally where i am today i started travelers ge literally across the street from where i'm working today so a lot of the people at the company when i got here had worked for me before some of which enjoyed working for me and some of which probably didn't enjoy working for me it's, it runs the gamut but for the most part, I had a loyal group of people who understood who I was and how I operated, and I was a successful businessman and a mortgage banker. And a lot of those people, when I came aboard, were were thankful. You know, they felt that, you know, ownership and, and current leadership at the time, while they were good people and they liked working for them, they knew they weren't the people who were going to get them to the next level. So they were thankful for me coming aboard and stuck stood by me, where some others didn't care. They, they sure. could give... You know, I, 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 again, a lot of the people in this market where we're based, Philadelphia, South Jersey, I believe it's, it's one of the meccas for mortgage banking. We call it Mortgage Row, as you probably know. And a lot of people, I mean, I literally had people till recently work that worked for me for 35 years. I mean, that's how far back the relationships go. And people, I guess, you know, saw me as a young lad back then and still today, I probably have... I don't know, a dozen people or more that have been, been working with me somewhere along the line for 30 plus years. So it's, it's a warming feeling, to be honest with you, for me, that they still want to work for me after all these years. Now, that's a big compliment. Well, time has flown by. And for our listeners, so do you have a couple of things that you want to share that regarding making this transition from a large lender to a small lender? Uh, yeah, as I said earlier, I think number one is, is, is come in in the first you know, 60, 90, 120 days and do a lot of listening, a lot of note taking, compare how things are done at the smaller company versus where you came from. There's pros and cons of both sides. My goal was to blend the two cultures, not to replace the culture. I think that's critical. You you cannot just turn a company upside down and say, okay, you're going to do it my way, the way I just did it coming from a large company. That will never work. It just it just will not work. There, there's always going to be good things and bad things things to what you're facing in a new company and the company you came from. So try and take, you know, draw, take a T account and put the good and the bad in an account and and recognize the bullet points of what's good and what's bad. And then work hard towards trying to blend the two cultures as much as you can together. But I said, as I said, when I started my conversation with you, try to listen, not just hear people, but try to listen. That doesn't mean you're allowing those folks to make the decisions. You're simply giving them a voice to listen to you. And then you take it from there. It can be completely opposite of what you heard. But at least you're listening and they and they'll value the fact that you're willing to listen to them. And then there's things that when you run a business, you just simply have to go with your, you know, your histor- historical background, your knowledge, your experience and make those decisions. And some people will never understand that. But that's why 
you know, you've been put in a leadership position and others have not. But I, but I think listening and showing that you have an open door policy is another thing. I, I may have had a, too, too much of an open door policy. I tend to, then I have to hide and, and, and go work somewhere. But uh, this, this last six to nine months, while in the beginning I was working at the office, first three, four months just to lead and make sure everybody was okay. In the last few months, I've been more working from home as, as 95% of our company has. And, and, and honestly, you know, it's been a blessing to me. I've gotten, I'm actually working longer, harder, and more efficiently working from home, which is, which is, which is the truth for many people. Yeah, no, that is very true. Well, they certainly are words of wisdom for sure. Well, I want to thank you, Kevin, for sharing your thoughts. They were terrific. And I want to let our listeners know, subscribe to where you listen to your podcast and rate today's episode. And also sign up for my free weekly sales blog at patsherlock.com. So thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Take care of yourself. Thank you.